Let me repeat the warm welcome that Brother Chris gave. So glad that you're able to be here with us this morning. May the Lord take hold of our hearts and direct them to heaven. Might he give us ears to hear. Might this be a day in which God's praise rings in our hearts and with our mouths. After lunch today, we will join together up here in giving public thanks, giving to the Lord. This is something that we have done year after year. As long as I've been here, I think that this was a happy tradition of this church well before I ever came. And it's been a time of special thanksgiving, time of fellowship, of singing the praises of God in the ears of our brothers and sisters and encouraging one another in Christ for all the good things that God has done for people like ourselves. Now, in order to prime the pump of our gratitude, let us open our Bibles to the 111th Psalm, Psalm 111. And though the circumstances of the penning of this Psalm and its author are not stated, the message is certainly relevant to each one of us. 111th Psalm. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Let us ask his help once more. Our Father, we have opened our Bibles Indeed, before we come to the word of God, we would come to, to the God of the word. And Lord, we would plead that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. Might you take our attention, all of our thoughts captive. Might we hear the voice of the shepherd speaking to us through this psalm. 
O Lord, even this hour, might you be enthroned upon our praises. Might we hear your voice calling to us. Lord, how we pray that we would hear the voice of the shepherd speaking and bringing these things home with power to our hearts. Let this not just be a word that goes in our ears, but might it sink down deep within our hearts and might it extract from our hearts praise which is worthy of your great name. We cannot do so apart from the help of your Holy Spirit. Forgive us of our sins. Direct our attention heavenward that we might see Christ with the eyes of faith. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we come to consider this psalm of thanksgiving this morning, we're going to consider it under three headings and then come to a few words of concluding application. We're going to look at the psalmist's gratitude to God in verse 1, and then we're going to consider things for which the psalmist expressed gratitude to God in verses 2 through 9, and then in the final verse, we're going to consider the root and fruit of gratitude to God. Notice right away that the psalmist wastes no time in calling us to worship. Worship is the great occupation of the angels and of glorified saints in heaven. It is to occupy our time while we are here on earth. We have many things that that we have to accomplish. But certainly worship is one of the chief duties of all of us. And even when we're doing more mundane things in life, our hearts should be focused upon the Lord. And notice that he immediately exhorts us to praise and to thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. And then in the following verses, he points us, to the great works and the glorious grace of God that should excite our praise and gratitude to him. Now, as we consider the psalmist's gratitude to God here in verse one, we're gonna notice two points. First of all, how the psalmist expressed his gratitude. How did the psalmist express his gratitude to God? Notice two things. First of all, his gratitude was intentional. He purposed to worship God. He fixed the focus of his attention upon the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. What we hear here is something of a personal vow of the psalmist to worship the Lord. He first exhorted himself to praise and thank God before he exhorted his brethren. Now, how important that is for us. We have to have dealings with the Lord ourselves. Our attention has to be focused upon him before we would encourage anyone else to praise and to thank God. It, it is though he is, he is saying, whether anyone else will praise the Lord or not, I will praise him even if I am alone in doing so. But his great desire was that others would join with him in the praise of God. You see, we must turn our own heart toward God if we would not be hypocritical in exhorting others to praise him. Now, if we're honest, 
Sometimes we don't feel much like worshiping God when we enter this place. Now this is the Lord's day and maybe when you put your feet on the floor, you weren't really thinking about praising God. You're rubbing the sleep out of your eyes. Yes, you knew it was Sunday. Yes, you were aware that you're gonna be leaving after a while to go to church and gather with God's people. But if you're honest, sometimes you don't feel much like praising God when you get up, when you leave the house, or even when you enter this place. Something magical doesn't automatically happen when you cross the threshold and enter this building. But brethren, we must not remain in that state of mind and heart. When our hearts are cold and there's no fire kindled within, we must pray that help may be sent down. Lord, my heart is cold. Warm it with coals from your altar. Let us pray as did the psalmist. Lift up the light of your countenance on me, O Lord. Or as Moses did, Lord, show me your glory. When we are thankless, we must ask God to fill our hearts with gratitude and our lips with praise. And when we pray this way, because it's God's will that we worship him, he promises to give help to the sons of Jacob. So his gratitude was intentional. I will give thanks to the Lord. And notice that his gratitude was total. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. He didn't want to come here and give God distracted worship. He wanted to focus the whole attention of his being upon the Lord. He wanted to, to, to worship him without distraction. He wanted to worship him fervently and sincerely and heartily to give God whole souled worship. He didn't want to bring to God something that was unworthy of his worship. Today we would pray, Lord, give me the grace of Christ that I might come here and worship you with the totality of my soul. You see, if the Lord is worthy of worship at all, he is worthy of our all, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. He desires, he deserves nothing less than whole-souled worship. And yet how easily our hearts are led away from the Lord. You might be sitting here right now struggling with distracted thoughts, thinking about the week behind you or the week ahead of you, thinking about what's yet before you this day. When we get sidetracked by other thoughts, let us plead with God to help us to gird up the loins of our minds that we may regain our focus upon him. And again, because this is his will, when we pray this way, he will give us his help. Things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And so that is how the psalmist expressed his gratitude. It was intentional and it was total. Now, as we consider also the, the psalmist's gratitude to God, having seen how he expressed it, Notice, secondly, where the psalmist expressed his gratitude. In the company of the upright and in the assembly. Now, we don't know if he had his private devotions before 
he gathered with God's people. I trust that we did this morning, but his purpose expressed in this psalm was to gather with the people of God. You see, those in whose hearts are the highways to Zion, they don't want to go there by themselves. They want to link hearts and hands together to come into the presence of God and to join one another's voices in worship. Was that your desire this morning? You didn't want to come here and just have, as it were, your private devotions amidst a bunch of other people. You wanted to come here to worship with them, to sing the praises of God, as it were, with harmonious hearts and lips together. As with many other activities, all the more with the activity of worship, and I say this reverently, the more the merrier. Surely the worship of heaven teaches us this. There are the saints and the angels gathered around the throne, singing incessantly the praise of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what is the public worship of God on the Lord's day, but a dress rehearsal for glory. It is the greatest privilege of the saints on earth to join in the public praise and worship of our creator and redeemer, even as do our brethren above. But notice that this public praise is special. That is that it does not include all men, the psalmist says, but is restricted to the gathering of holy people. Strictly speaking, says one commentator, company here designates a company sitting with closed doors. This is the special activity of God's gathered people in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Luther comments, he says, I Thank the Lord here in this public assembly where we are in a peculiar manner by ourselves, as it were, in secret council, and no heathen or stranger must be beside us. Oh, do we desire the unconverted to come amongst us? Yes, we do. We want them to come and to hear the word of God. We don't want them, even as we don't want ourselves, to leave in the same way that they came and we came. We want to go through these doors on our way out and say, it has been good to be here because God has been here. You see, the public worship of God envisioned by the psalmist here is a particular privilege for a particular people in a particular Place, or to use the language of the Lord Jesus, wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, there he promises to be. So brethren, let us come together, not simply as a collection of individuals, like sports fans at an athletic event, they come together, but they come together as individuals. They don't see themselves, well, maybe certain times, we're a family, we're behind the team, and they come together and they're all friends for a time, and then they go out the door, their separate lives. No, we come together as the people of God. We come together as members of the body of Christ. 
mutually committed to encouraging one another in the worship of God. To encourage, to exhort, to stimulate one another. You know the passage from the book of Hebrews, speaking about the public worship of God. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What greater love and what better deed could we stimulate our brothers and sisters to than to express themselves and ourselves in whole-souled praise and gratitude to God. And so we have just sung, how good it is to thank the Lord and praise to thee most high accord, to show thy love with morning light and tell thy faithfulness each night. Yea, good it is thy praise to sing and all our sweetest music bring. So that, very briefly, is the psalmist's gratitude to God, how it's to be expressed and where it is to be expressed, how intentionally and totally and where in the company of the upright and in the assembly of God's people. Now notice the things for which the psalmist expressed gratitude to God in verses 2 through 9. The psalmist expressed public thanks to God for many things. They should be the things for which we thank God. And we may organize those things for which he praises and thanks God here under two headings. Notice, first of all, he was grateful to God for his glorious works. The more deeply we ponder God's great works, the higher will rise our praise to him. Perhaps the psalmist like Job, reflected upon the, the magnitude and marvel of God's work. Job says, who does great things, unfathomable and wondrous works without number. We can't count them, and they're too great to wrap our minds around. Maybe like Isaiah, he, he pondered our God who is a creator, who spoke all things into existence and he contemplated the vastness of creation to use Isaiah's words who has who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by span and calculated the dust of the earth by by the measure and weighed the mountains in the balance and hills in a pair of scales who can wrap their mind around the great handiwork of God we look outside of the earth. We see the vast expanse of the universe, seemingly limitless. We refer to it as infinite. Really, there's only one who is infinite because he can hold in the hollow of his hand the seemingly infinitude of the majesty of the heavens. We should be awed when we come into the presence of God, thinking of who he is and what he has done and especially what he has done for people like ourselves. Or maybe like David, he marveled 
at his own beginning when his mother and father came together and he thought about his own beginning being tenderly knit together in his mother's womb by the tender sovereign fingertips of the Almighty. I will give thanks to thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works and my soul knows it very well. Some of you are holding in your arms the product of the creative handiwork of God. The psalmist describes God's works in very various ways. He describes them as great, as splendid, as powerful, as eternal. And if we would lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving to God, we are encouraged here to study his majestic works. We're to study them. We're to focus our attention upon them. We're to prime the pump of the devotion in our hearts to praise and thanksgiving by studying the works of God. And he seems to say, as we study them, we will delight in them. And when we delight in them, we will more readily remember them. As we ponder these things, we think about them, we remember them. We can call them to our attention and we can focus our praise on the God who's made everything. The remembrance of God's works will ignite praise and thanksgiving, especially as we reckon, we take this personally, that this God is our God. And as we ponder God's glorious works, maybe, may we be lost in wonder, love, and So what were the works for which the psalmist praised and thanked the Lord as recorded in this psalm? Well, two things especially. Notice, first of all, he thanked God for his works of providence. We see this in verses five and six. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. Specifically, he thanks God for providing his daily bread. We're to thank God. We're to ask him to provide for our daily bread. Provides food. And I believe the word food here is wider than just what is on our table, on our plate. Food aptly symbolizes all of God's blessing, not just material, but also spiritual. If, see, if we would be thankful, if we would praise God from whom all blessings flow, let us remind ourselves, brothers and sisters, that we live from hand to mouth, from his hand to our mouth. It is true that he gives food to the unclean birds and he provides food for all men, not just for the just, but also for the unjust. But he especially provides for his own people. We are the apple of his eye. His hand is always extended to us. You see, for God's people, every provision, whether it is spiritual or material, 
comes not only from the hand of God, but from the heart of God. We know this because every blessing comes to us from the Father of lights through the sacrifice of Christ. Our daily bread comes to us from the hand of him who is the bread of life. And let us ever kiss the generous hand that supplies us all things from his treasury in glory in Christ Jesus. If you find yourself discontent with God's portion, or if you doubt his provision, the Lord would have us look no farther than from the birth to, at the birds. Remember the disciples. If we follow you, Peter asked that question. If we follow you, if we leave everything like this rich young ruler wouldn't do, what is there in what is in it for us? Will you provide for us? And Jesus says, look at the flowers of the field. Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. He'll provide for your clothing. You think you're not going to be able to eat? Look at the birds. Does not your heavenly father provide for them? Are you not of greater worth than the birds? So we sing the birds without garner or storehouse are fed. From them let us learn to trust God for our bread. Birds are excellent teachers. They teach us of a God who provides all things. I love to watch little sparrows just chirping happily, darting in and out of the bushes. Not a, not a concern or a care. Lord provides for them. Will he not also provide for us? He who feeds sparrows will provide for those who fear him. Further, the God who gives us daily bread will one day give us the world. Verse 6. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. Now you say, what does he mean by that? Well, he's not only going to provide our daily bread, he one day is going to provide us the whole world. You see, the nations right now are in, in enemy hands. But there comes a day when the God who provides our bread will fulfill his ancient promise to Abraham. Remember, your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. And though the gates of the world are occupied by the foes of Christ, those gates belong to God's people. You see, one day in a new world, you will possess them. You will possess all things. Even as God drove Israel's ancient enemies out of Canaan, so God will drive out modern Canaanites from this world. Indeed, he will make his enemies into his friends, conquering them by the sword of the Spirit, slaying the enmity in their hearts, and making them his own children. All of us sitting here testified of that truth. If we know the Lord. Jesus promises that he will build his church. And God's kingdom will come. 
Child of God, this present world is not your home. Your citizenship is in heaven from which you await a savior. And you are an heir not only of heaven. That's where the spirits of just men made perfect go when they leave this life. But the spirits of just men made perfect that are worshiping God around the throne know that the promise of God is yet incomplete because when the Lord Jesus comes and he judges all mankind, after the judgment day, he is going to recreate this world with fire. And so what's waiting for you is not only heaven, but a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Your final home will be in a glorified universe with Jesus and the saints and the angels without tear, without sorrow, without pain, without any enemies within or without forever. The God who cares for his people also providentially provides for them redemptively. Notice he not only thanked God for his works of providence, he thanked God for his work of redemption. Look at verse nine. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. God's works in providence, you see, are the backdrop to his work in redemption. The psalmist's ancient audience reading verse 9 here would have immediately remembered God's mighty deliverance of their forefathers from the cruel hand of Pharaoh. This was stamped upon their collective consciousness. They would have reflected upon their deliverance from the taskmaster's whip and then by delivering the delivering walls of water that drowned Pharaoh's enemies. And then they would have pondered the awesome sights and sounds of Sinai when Jehovah took them under his wing and into covenant relationship with him, making them his own people, giving them his law and remembering God's thunderous words spoken on the trembling mount. They would have thought of God's words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You are my redeemed people. And we in the new covenant have been redeemed from a more terrible foe than Pharaoh and a more severe bondage than slavery. We have been redeemed from the grip of Satan and bondage to sin and by a greater deliverer than Moses, one whom he looked forward to, even our delivering Lord Jesus Christ. Peter speaks of this, and so does Paul, in a number of places I mentioned, but two. First Peter 1 and verse 18, knowing that you were redeemed with, not redeemed with perishable things, like gold or silver, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. 
He speaks about the precious blood of Christ that bought and paid for their souls. They've been redeemed. They've been purchased out of the slave market of their own sin. Paul speaks of it in Titus, who gave himself for us. Gave himself. Oh, that is a pregnant expression, is it not? He came from glory. He went to the cross. He took upon our sins. They are forever buried in the tomb of Christ. He rose with newness of life. We have not only forgiveness of sins, we have the very righteousness of God who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So he was grateful to God for his glorious works of providence and redemption. Notice, secondly, he was grateful to God, not just for what he did, but for who he is. He was grateful to God for his gracious character. You see, God's works reflect his character. God does what he does because he is who he is. So how does the psalmist teach that the Lord's works reflect his character, his great works, his marvelous goodness. First of all, the works of the Lord are reflected in his enduring righteousness. We see this in verse eight. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He may well have been thinking about what Moses wrote. Deuteronomy 32 and verse four, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just. You see, God's graciousness is reflected in his work and in his ways. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Because the Lord is unfailingly righteous. We can count upon him as the judge of all the earth to do right. In the world and in our own lives, he will never do us wrong. Furthermore, the works of the Lord reflect his unfailing graciousness and compassion. And we see that in verse four. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. That is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. God is compassionate and he is gracious. And if he wasn't, we wouldn't be here. The weeping prophet, even as he was surveying the smoking ruins of the once glorious holy city, confessed through his tears. He didn't give up on God who called him to be a prophet to, to Israel and to the nations, no. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindness says, notice plural, indeed never cease. He could look out there, he says, no, the Lord's loving kindness is, they're over. No, he didn't conclude that. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, even this morning, when I smell the stinking rubble burning all around me. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And sometimes when it seems like things are going against us, nothing is going for us, that God is against us, we need to remember who he is. We ought not consider our feelings. We ought to look to Christ. That he, his loving kindness has never ceased, is stamped upon the cross, is it not? Furthermore, the works of the Lord reflect his unfailing and large-handed generosity. We see this in verse 5. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. Every good thing bestowed, James writes, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He is generous. He provides all things. Everything that we have comes from the good hand of God. Paul confessed that he had learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Why? Because he could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. And whether God sends privation or he sends plenty, he always gives us what we need. He gives what is best and he gives us what we need when it is needed. His timing is impeccable. Furthermore, the works of the Lord reflect his eternal covenant faithfulness to his redeemed people. He will remember his covenant forever. You see, brethren, the new covenant of Christ is written by the hand of God with the indelible blood of Jesus Christ. His covenant mercies will never fail. Psalm 138 and verse 8, The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness is loyal covenant love. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the work of thy hands. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. You know the verse. Paul says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God never begins anything that he doesn't finish. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. What are covenant promises? They are oath sworn by God on the blood of his beloved son to complete the work of redemption. Notice he has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Awesome. It's a word 
misused today. The Bible never speaks of anything that is awesome that's not directly connected to God's character or his works. Holy and awesome is his name. Notice thirdly, we've seen the psalmist's gratitude to God. We've seen the things for which he expresses his gratitude to God. And notice more briefly the root and fruit of gratitude to God in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praises, or his praise endures forever. Now the connection of this verse to the previous may seem difficult to understand. But I think it's this. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom and knowledge true wisdom and knowledge will produce gratitude to the one from whom all blessings flow Spurgeon observes holy reverence of God leads us to praise him and this is the point which the psalm drives at for it is a wise act on the part of the creature towards his creator Praise and gratitude to God as the work of the fear of God produces obedience to God. Notice, first of all, the root of gratitude to God is the fear of the Lord. You know, it wasn't until we were taught the fear of God by the grace of God that we came to be truly grateful to God. All men, I think, have a general sense of gratitude they direct it to people and they direct it to things they direct it to chance they direct it to everything but they don't direct it to God and the fear of God teaches us to kiss the hand that provides all things for us so the root of gratitude to God is the fear of the Lord and we shouldn't be surprised by this connection you see as long as there's no fear of God before our eyes we will not acknowledge and thank God as the divine source of all of our blessings. In fact, Paul teaches that ingratitude to God characterizes us before God saves us. You know the text in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, for even though they knew God, he's talking about pagans, he's talking about all people under the sun, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks the two chief sins that we commit day in and day out the, the atmosphere we breathe in our unconversion is that we don't honor God and we don't thank him we tend to think of, of gratitude as yeah it's, it's good but it's essential to the Christian life because it draws our attention to God what happened to those that didn't honor God or give thanks? They became futile in their speculations. God didn't create everything. No, this all happened by chance. You give enough time and you give chance, anything can happen. And their foolish heart was darkened. And brethren, even after God saves us, we still struggle with ingratitude to God, don't we? Let's be honest. 
with ourselves. True gratitude sees God's gracious hand behind all the blessings that we receive in life, no matter what they are or how and through whom they come to us. Brethren, Paul asks, what do you have that you have not received? We've received everything from the generous hand of God. Remember James' word, I just read it. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. God never has his bad days. He always provides for us according to his bounty and glory. So the root of gratitude is the fear of God. And I, I dare say the more we fear God, the more we'll be grateful to God. Secondly, the fruit of gratitude to God is the wisdom of obeying God. You see, godly fear produces wisdom and good understanding, which produces praise and gratitude, which leads to obedience. That's the chain that's here in verse 10. Gratitude for the goodness of God will move our feet to run in the way of God's commandments. You see, gratitude has a question. It's the question of David. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I receive in it that windows of heaven have opened and benefits are falling thick at my feet. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? The psalmist here teaches us, be grateful to the God from whom all blessings flow. Well, the ready answer to this question is, I shall run in the way of thy commandments, for thou wilt enlarge my heart. You see, an enlarged heart produces swift feet. Fear of the Lord produces gratitude to God. So what does that say to us by way of concluding applications? Three points and we'll be done. First of all, let us see our duty to stir ourselves up to worship the Lord. How lazy and lethargic we often are. Brethren, let's, let's, let's own the fact that it's no easy thing to stir ourselves up to worship the Lord, to avoid coldness and formality in our worship when we come into this place. It takes concentration on our part and it takes help from God. Our justified spirits have not been made perfect. It's no hardship in glory for the redeemed spirits to be worshiping God. But it's work down here for us, if we're honest. We're not always in the mood to worship God. Stirring ourselves up to worship God, it doesn't come by working ourselves up into a fine emotional lather. Rather, it comes by focusing our attention upon the Lord, meditating upon his works, and pleading for the Spirit's help. Lord, lest you give me the spirit of worship, it'll all be formal. I'll just be going through the motions. Lord, I don't want to give you that. You deserve far better. Give me the spirit of Christ that I might worship you aright, and then wash my spirit in his blood, or wash my worship in his blood. Do you want to prime the pump of your heart for grateful worship to God on the Lord's day? 
Use the means. The means that God has given you. Spend time contemplating the Lord throughout the week. You see, if we spend little time thinking about Christ, studying his word, meditating upon his character and works, and pondering his promises during the week, is it any wonder that we find it difficult to think deeply about him when we gather on the Lord's day, especially under the preaching of the word? You see, we cannot be strangers to God Monday through Saturday and then be prepared to enter his course with praise on Sunday. So let me ask you, let me ask myself, do you, do I spend time alone with God every day in Bible reading, prayer, and meditation? Do you read solid Christian books? Do you listen as you have opportunity to good sermons? You see, beloved, what we gather during the week is what we bring to church. Spending quality time with God during the week tends to pay rich dividends when we come together on the Lord's day. Do you think about the Father's eternal love to you? Do you think about his unfailing provision? Do you think about Jesus and what it cost him to purchase your salvation? Do you think about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit conforming your sin-disfigured soul more and more into the beautiful and blessed image of your Savior? That your gracious covenant God is working all of your trials and temptations together for your good and his glory? Do you reflect with hope upon the glorious destination beyond the clouds with the Lord Jesus said he's preparing for you even now? Do you forget that he's coming back one day? Brother, let us prime the pump of praise by frequently pondering the countless blessings that we have from God if we would continually present to him the gift of gratitude through our Lord Jesus Christ when we come together for his worship. God has to occupy our thinking during the week if he's going to occupy our thankfulness on the Lord's day. Second, let us encourage our brethren to praise and thank the Lord. Yeah, this psalm is, is not about private praise. It's about public praise. But we must be engaged in private praise before we will come and praise him before God's people. So let us encourage our brethren to praise and thank the Lord. Let us be so prepared when we come that we may encourage our brethren's praises by our countenance and by our words, by our very demeanor. Let us readily speak about what God is doing in our lives and what he is teaching us. You know, there's a text in the Old Testament that teaches that God takes notice of such communion among his people. Malachi 3 and verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. 
The Lord is very keenly interested in our worship, in our communion with one another, what we say about God into the ears of our brothers and sisters, how we would stimulate them to love and to good deeds. One commentator says on this verse, when the fire of religion burns low, true believers should draw the nearer together to keep the holy flame alive. Coals separated soon go out. Brethren, we cannot fan the flame of mutual devotion when we needlessly absent ourselves from public worship. Let us be here that we may catch fire and communicate fire to one another in the name of Christ. Finally, let us show our gratitude to God by our cheerful obedience to him. The gratitude of the heart has feet and the feet of gratitude run in the way of God's commandments. Lord, I am so thankful to you who bestowed all of these blessings on me. How shall I show my gratitude to you? The psalmist tells us, a good understanding have those who do his commandments, his praises, his praise endures forever. You see, love of God is a heartbeat of obedience, is it not? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so we're brought back full circle to where we began. Let us sing hallelujah to the Lord whose praise endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we heard nothing new out of your word this morning, but we need to be reminded of these things we are forgetful people. Lord, we would not be those who come into this place and be satisfied with just merely going through the motions of worship. We, de- we desire that you would kindle upon our hearts a hearth burning with a sacrifice of love to Christ, a praise to him, that we would hear the voice of the shepherd and we would We would more deeply love him as a result of our time together. Help us to prepare ourselves throughout the week so that when we come together, we don't have to spend a long time cranking ourselves around. Know that our hearts would be ready when we come here to worship you. We would encourage our brethren to worship and love you. We would stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Lord, as we've pondered this psalm this this morning, maybe when we come back together this afternoon, that the heart, the heart, our heart's pump will be primed with the consideration of these things. And we will lift a holy hallelujah to your name. And we will kiss the generous hand that has provided all of these things in our life. And Lord, as our brother said, we could not, Say all that you have done in our lives by way of praise. We would fill the week, but Lord, fill our hearts that we might focus our attention upon those things that you have particularly blessed us with this day. And might our praise 
of you for the things that you've blessed us with. Encourage the praises of our brothers and sisters. Cause a spirit of glorious gratitude to be our portion this afternoon. Lord, hear us as we pray these things. If there's any here, that these words are very strange. They know not the gratitude that's produced by the grace of God. We pray that you would open their eyes to see that a savior has been sent from heaven, that they might look upon him and be saved, that their gratitude would begin this day by looking upon him and believing upon him and be transformed from death to life and brought out of darkness into light. Oh Lord, do wondrous things this day that we can't even comprehend, but would demonstrate the power of your grace in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.